Hello everyone, welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast as we pick the bones out of Everton's Premier League opener, the 1-0 home defeat to um, Fulham and we've got another signing um, to talk about as well. Uh, we're back here at the uh, the Echo office in the heart of Liverpool City Centre. I'm Chris Beasley, Echo Everton reporter, joined by Everton Echo Corres- Everton <laughs> Echo's Everton correspondent Joe Thomas and uh, our colleague Connor O'Neill as well. And we, if we start, um, Joe, we um, had <laughs> Sunday, a supposed day of rest after that game and uh, more transfer ups and downs but it is another signing over the line for, for Everton in the, in the shape of Jack Hardison Absolutely and things never seem to be particularly easy when Everton come to the fore do they? <laughs> Obviously it was yourself who was in yeah. yesterday trying to work out what yeah. on earth was going on the Jack Harrison deal I think ultimately we can probably skip over a lot of the ins and outs and just <laughs> finish off with the important bit is and that is that he is now a blue you know, yeah. season long loan from, from Leeds United still injured out for the next few weeks of course obviously we understand there was a bit of interest from Aston Villa yeah, they were another club that were interested throughout the summer but I think his injury issue was um, enough to put them off given that they need immediate cover for Emiliano Buendia's ACL injury which I think is one of the big issues there mm. but ultimately he's an Everton player passed his medical on Sunday I think it was common knowledge by the end of it that he, was, that he had had a medical yeah. at, 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 with the Blues yesterday and then final bits and pieces of paperwork concluded on Monday morning so it wasn't a done deal signed off completely done until you know an hour or two ago where speaking you know just before 11 o'clock on on Monday morning, but he's in, he, you know, fourth summer signing, another attacking addition. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's a positive Premier League experience. You know, I was looking at his stats and, you know, he's got 21 goals and 16 assists and 107 Premier League appearances. I mean, that's quite a good record, really. That's a, a goal involvement, one in every three games, which, you know, would be a significant improvement on a lot of what Everton have got to muster at the moment. Clearly, the main priority for Everton before this signing and after this signing remains a striker, someone to fill that gap between the kind of the youth and the potential of Chimiti and the the ability that we know that Dominic Calvert-Lewin has but can't always get onto the pitch because of his injury issues or we can't we can't gamble on him being on the, that pitch for you know 35 games of of this season and, and more so th- that work remains ongoing and I think it would be f- foolish to judge off a proper judgment on the transfer window until the end of it because that is an issue that needs to be addressed but Harrison the fourth summer signing and the next step on the way to you know it feels like we're heading towards a positive transfer window you know, still work to be done. And another important caveat is Evan couldn't have afforded to stand still. Lost a lot of players um, through you know natural expiration of contracts. Um, so obviously, some offered new deals and turned them down. Others uh, decided you know to go, uh, or the club decided that they were you know, didn't want to renew their services so Everton needed to make signings just to keep pace with everybody else you know, before they even think about surpassing other teams and getting up to you know the lofty heights of 16th 15th 14th in the table but it feels like it's another step forward and a step towards what looks like it has the potential to become a positive transfer window yeah, yeah. Connor um, late interest from Aston Villa but in the end they didn't fancy it, but um, as, as Joe has mentioned there, uh, Jack Harrison currently uh, nursing a, an injury. Do you think Evertonian should be excited by the signing? Yeah, I think it's a positive for signing. I think it's a, an area in which Everton, you know, we've spoken at length about Everton's need for improvement in that area, and it's someone who ticks a lot of boxes in terms of productivity, goals, assists. He's a, you know, he's a hard-working 
winger. I think anyone who plays out wide for Marcelo Bielsa, the Marcelo Bielsa team has yeah. to work hard, and yeah. and it's pretty similar to Sean Dyche, isn't it? That they they have to work hard and put a real shift in, and he's someone who does that, and they should be excited. I think the only disappointing side is, like you say, he is injured, and it'll be a, yeah. I think a few weeks before we we even get a, a first glimpse of him, you know, being in contention for a, a starting place. But yeah, it's a positive one. It's a step in the right direction, and the hope now is is that this you know leads to more. You know, incomings over the next two weeks or so because, you know, I'm sure we'll get on to it. There's still gaps in the squad that need filling. And also, there's probably players who are in the club still who'll be moved on. I think Kevin Fowell even alludes to that himself, didn't he, in his, his open letter on yeah. in the programme on Saturday that, um, you know, there will be, there are players at the club who will be moved on and, you know, who are surplus to requirements. But yeah, I think it's a positive sign. I think it's, you know, a proven Premier League play, which is important for Everton because I think we've spoken at length, haven't we, about they need players to come in and, hit the ground running when they do come in because Everton haven't really got time to, to, to blood young people to blood young players in to blood players who perhaps never played in the Premier League before they need people to come in and hit the ground running and he's hopefully someone who will do that and someone who will add that extra bit of dimension that Sean Dyche and Everton desperately need yeah and obviously the signing came after Everton's first Premier League game of the season all three of us were there at Goodison Park the weekend I suppose it was a strange one Joe in that people who weren't at that game it made me think, oh, well, Everton played a certain way, maybe laboured, struggled to create chances. It was anything but, wasn't it? They unfortunately spurned a, a number of golden opportunities. I mean, should we take encouragement from that or does it just make that, that defeat um, even more painful in the short term? It's a painful defeat. There's, yeah. there's no doubt about that. The margins were very, very fine last season. Obviously, Everton went all the way through to the last kick of the last game of the season before their survival was confirmed and it was clearly a close run thing the season before as well so when the margins are that tight you you, you can't afford to, to waste opportunities no. to get points on the board and clearly Everton did do that on, on Saturday they did do that through a little bit of bad luck but also through issues that haven't been that are long standing and haven't been addressed for a couple of transfer windows now however I think there are a lot of positives to take from that performance and from what it says about Sean Dyche and the setup at Everton and the, you know, the wider state of of affairs at Finch Farm, at, you know, on the football inside at, at the very least. Nineteen shots, nine on target. You you, you go in at half time, and there was. If you were to look at the possession stats, obviously it, it would look as if Fulham had dominated, but really it was the other way around. Yeah. You know, Sean Dyche is someone that doesn't put all of his emphasis and opinions down to, to statistics but he does have an appreciation of them and whilst different people have different views on this you know the XG the expected goals well Evan should have, should have scored at least two at half yeah. time and, and and Fulham's XG was 0.02 yeah. which is really really comprehensive that's as as dominant a performance you can get and I think in many ways that first half was the perfect Sean Dyche template not very much possession but they didn't concede possession in areas that offered any real threat to, or you know danger to Jordan Pickford's goals, and everything that Everton did when they did have the ball was effective. You know they were direct, but they did get into the opposition box. They did create chances, and they created good chances. Obviously, they missed them, and and that is a concern. And it, you know I think we'll all agree that's a concern that needs to be addressed for this transfer window to be viewed as as a positive one. But ultimately, I think when that team sheet dropped at two o'clock on on um, on Saturday obviously a little bit earlier you know, we have access to it a little bit earlier but how by the embargoes are in place around the Premier League before we re- report it 
you know, I, I can understand why there would have been a sense of deflation around Goodison Park yeah. because you look at that and once again, despite all the work that's been done in the transfer window, despite all the work that's being done at Finch Farm, rehabilitation to injuries again, no Arno Danjuma in the starting lineup, no Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the starting lineup. You've got Alex Wobie playing out of position. You've got James Garner playing out of position and there are other areas that people will have strong feelings on, on as well. For that, for what was essentially a makeshift side cobbled together from a Fred Bear squad that's hit by injuries, to get that 11 into a position where they were so dominant from the first you know, 45, 50, 55 minutes of a game against what was a mid-table Premier League opposition last season, that's actually quite impressive. And I think that Deitch deserves a degree of credit from that because you think, well... There isn't really more that he could have done. You know, we'll probably come on to starting lineup in terms of you know, the absences of Calvert-Lewin and things like that in a little bit. But if we take everything at face value and say those players weren't selected because they were generally weren't available, you know, which is what, what Deitch obviously says, and there's no reason to disbelieve him on, on those fronts, then actually it's quite impressive that what is probably one of the weakest sides that Evan will end up putting out this season, you would think once players come back from injuries and, and um, you know, the new signings gel in, was actually so competitive. Uh, that doesn't mean to say there's not any problems. Of course there is. And, you know, obviously the fact that Everton didn't take the chances has hurt them. And that's something that's been an issue for two seasons and will continue to be an issue this season unless those problems are addressed. But ultimately, there is a, a very there's an alternative universe where a very very few tweaks are needed for Everton to be coming off at half time in that game, with you know the game pretty much wrapped up. Goodison Park bouncing, Amadou Anana with two assists, and two of the probably more maligned squad players, Neil Mope and, and Michael Keane, both having hit the back of the net and already got their accounts open for the new season. That wasn't the case, and that remains an issue. We can't, Everton aren't going to survive on what ifs and nearlies, but there are positives to take from that. And I do think it would be, you know, I do think it would be a shame to kind of come away from that and look only at the full, the final score uh, when we come to our judgments on it. Yeah, well, a few weeks back, I think the uh, the Royal Blue podcast was uh, going uh, crawl into military history territory. I'm not going to go into advanced physics with Joe and start talking about multiverses and things like that. But uh, Connor, uh, what I will say, I'll keep things a lot more simple for you. For you, yeah, Sean Dice. Yeah, yeah, we, we won't be going down. I know Oppenheim is out at the moment, but we won't be going down that road. Um, Sean Dyche talks about the bliss to miss, but I mean, didn't feel very, very blissful, did it, with all, all those spurned opportunities at the weekend that Joe speaks about? I mean, it was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, just, you know, the, the chances, they were so clear cut. That was the big thing for me, was they were so clear cut. You know, you, you think of like more pace one in the opening minute where he drags a shot wide, yeah. which was a little bit difficult because it was, a, a, you know, an acute angle and stuff, but. You're thinking, well, that's, you know, in Everton's book, that's a good chance because yeah. they don't create. But then they go on to create five, four or five really clear cut chances. And, you know, the core should best the net, more pace should best the net. You know, the, yeah. it, it was just, it, it was it was hard to watch because yeah. you know what's coming, if that yeah. makes sense. You know, yeah, like, an inevitability. We all, we all yeah. And, and I actually think, that, you know, we thought Everton got away with it when Jimenez hits the post. And, you know, a couple of minutes later, unfortunately, Jordan Pickford's picking the ball at the back of the net. But yeah, it was. It was so tough to take on Saturday because yeah. I actually thought it was probably the best Goodison performance since the three 0 win over uh, Crystal Palace when last season. Yeah, in terms of Palace. performance, Just yeah, in terms of, yeah. You know, domination. You know, being at it. You know, everything gelling, everything looking right. And I thought, you know, when you look at it now, it was such a there was a lot of positives to take, but ultimately yeah. they they got beat. Yeah. And Everton, you know, of of 
already lost ground you could argue in the in the Premier League yeah. um, but yeah it was it was a strange afternoon because they could have easily been 4-0 up and I just think you know even Patterson's chance where yeah. you know he, he hits the bar and it's almost harder to hit the bar yeah. than, than not put it in the back of the net and you know that's another one that goes begging you know Tarkovsky's header at the end where it just rolls the wrong side of the post and mm-hmm. you know I spoke to James Tarkovsky after the game yeah. and, and he almost was a bit speechless and how Everton hadn't come away with at least a point yeah. but one thing he did say was that he, you know he said you know we've probably created more chances this afternoon than me having in a game in all my time at the club and yeah. when you look back it probably is correct that and that's like Joe says that's got to be the blueprint now that first yeah. sort of 45 minutes has got to be the blueprint and you would hope that with that blueprint and a few you know additional tweaks to the start line up a bit more quality adders in, in some you know some parts of the pitch it, it will all come together for Everton and Sean Dyche because there's certain there's certainly signs of real positive there, positivity there if only they could put the ball in the back of the net. But it feels like we've been saying that for about yeah. two and a half years now. Yeah. Just quickly, I'll say, about which of all those chances was actually the best chance they should have scored? I'll start, if I'll say, I think that Nathan Patterson's, he sh- I think he should have scored about the U2. Which... I, 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 would, I know what you're saying, but I think the core, right? Yeah, I, I agree core. with the core. Yeah, the core, I think, um, you know, obviously, we, we, Mope had good chances. But that one, Decore had so much time and space, and you know the keeper was to an extent committed as well. Um, yeah, the, just imagine Goodison Park if that had gone in after five yeah. minutes. Yeah, so. yeah, you're gonna go for both. Gonna go Decore, right? We talked about those missed chances, but there was, of course, Everton did get the ball in the, in the back of the net. Unfortunately, Michael Keane's shot came a, a second after uh, the referee's uh, whistle was was blown. So, uh, what was your take on all of that one, Joe? I think it was a real shame. Yeah. Uh, I can understand Sean Dyche's frustration. Um, I think it's probably less an issue for VAR and more an issue for Stuart Atwell, the referee. Yeah. Um, looks as if he probably blew his whistle before the ball was in the back of the net, which then creates problems. I mean, we see so so much of last season, this idea of letting play run its course and then making a decision mm. once everything's you know, reached its conclusion. Uh, and unfortunately, in that case, in this case, that wasn't allowed to happen. And that had a you know, serious impact for Everton because had that passage of play been allowed to conclude without Atwell's intervention, well, no one's stopping the ball from getting in the back of the net. You know, there's no defender that didn't block it because they gave up trying because the whistle had gone. That isn't the case in this. Yeah. And I think when you look at what happened, obviously, you know, Bernd Leno goes down as, as man the match and you know, he kept a clean sheet and I think he had 12 points on the fantasy Premier League football. You so, you know, it looks like a dream performance from him, but really it, was a, it should have been a really costly error for his team that because... You know, like Deitch says, you know, Tarkovsky does absolutely nothing wrong. There's probably an element of, you know, when he drops the ball, he drops onto Tarkovsky's arm and then it bounces into Keane's bath and Tarkovsky does nothing. Yeah, that, that shouldn't be enough to then disallow it if everything goes and it goes to VAR. But, you know, we know how fickle and mysterious the, hand, the interpretations of the handball law seem to be. So you can rule out that that wouldn't have come back to, to haunt Everton. But, yeah, for, you know, for all that we talk about missed opportunities, Everton had the, you know, the other issue where they did have the ball in the back of the net and, you know, they were unfortunately... You know, cost a goal by by what was a mistake on the pitch. I think. Yeah, I mean, 
Connor, for, for me, it was almost like going back to play Luigi Colina, the phantom foul that denied Everton and against Villarreal. I guess the problem, is, as, as Joe spoke about there, is that the referee being too quick with the whistle because it seems an absolute nonsense that on one hand we have all these offsides where play goes on yeah. and you know we're offside but we carry it on and then the flag goes up. Whereas now, because the referee's blown the whistle quick, we can't go to VAR. It just seems like the law's an ass. Yeah, it's, it's shambolic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> There's just no other way to describe it. I must admit, when it first happened in the ground, I was a bit confused as to what has actually gone on. It was only afterwards when you, you kind of got the full picture that like he, he blew for a foul because there was a suggestion of handball, wasn't he? And there was a yeah. few other bits going on and, and then it became clear that because he blew his whistle before the ball got into the back of the net. And, you know, again, you know, speaking to James Tarkovsky after the game, I think he perfectly summed up in the sense of, he said the referee was the only person in the cycle Park who thought that was a foul. Yeah. You know, he's the only person who basically... Yeah. Well, Daichi even it's, said it's, he reckoned the Fulham bench were, weren't yeah. complaining much. You know, yeah. I mean, I spoke to, and I also asked yeah. Marco Silva also post match, and, yeah. and he was very coy and, and shot back with a, a penalty appeal at his side. Up, but yeah. give a, a wee smile, which presented, you know, which 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 suggested that he thought his side had got away with one as well. And, and again, it's 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 a decision that changes the course of the game because you know if Everton, okay, by that point they could have been three 0 up. But if they get that goal and it goes in, they're still going in half-time, one up. They're still going up with the tails up. The crowd's going to be up. And all of a sudden, that second half, the emphasis is on Fulham then taking the game to Everton and, and breaking, you know, Sean Dyche's side down. Instead, it wasn't. And I think, you know, it just kind of summed up the a real frustrating afternoon in, in terms of, you know, everything that kind of could go wrong did go wrong. But, yeah, I mean, we always talk about fouls, don't we? And I think it's just the whole rules and the way things are a, a shambolic, aren't they? And, you know, at the end of the day, we're in a position now where you can't win either way because the referee, like like we said, there, you know, offsides the referee plays on or the line, yeah. even though the lines are stood to his flag up, play on because they might go back to VAR to check. Yeah. But then they, you know, whistle there. You think, well, you know, even when the ball drops, there's only one thing that's going to happen. Yeah. And that's Michael Keane putting it in the back of the net. There's no, there's no phases to play that are going to come. So why didn't you just let the game go for? 15 more seconds and then a, a well, proper, even like half a second a second or something a proper judgement could have yeah. been made then you know we could be we could be, could be sitting here now and Everton mm. that's the first goal on Everton's way to victory but yeah it was a it was a it was a, it was a shambolic call and I know people will be you know quick to question Sean Dyche and say well you know if your size could you know as, as shooting boots on you were yeah. moaning about VAR and stuff like that which is understandable but I think the Everton manager has every right to, to be you know to be angry with the way things have transpired there because his side was certainly robbed of a legitimate goal. Yeah, I mean, Connor's right there. You know, if Everton had put their chances away, it would have been a moot point. But obviously at this level, you know, the, the margins are so tight, as you say, Joe, and these games are you know, typically decided by just a single goal. Going back to what you said about the starting lineup. I mean, a lot of people have said that. There's a sense of almost deflation when that team sheet dropped and the the, the, the people were concerned about where the goals were going to come from even before a ball had, had, had been kicked. I mean, your thoughts, obviously, Sean Dyche has been adamant, hasn't he, that Dominic Calvert-Lewin has got to complete his rehabilitation programme, but he has, has a couple of 45 minutes runouts in, in recent times. Similar story with Arnott Dan, Dan Juma. I mean, he didn't think he had enough uh, fitness in him to go f- for longer than, uh, than he did, but a lot of Evertonians in the stands are just concerned about why ever in a position when they, when they can't field these players on the opening day again. Yeah, I, I can understand the concern to yeah. some extent. Obviously, you know, we have absolutely we have some insight to what's mm. going on at Finch Farm, but we don't know what the data's saying. We don't know what you know Dominic Calvert Lewin's 
stats are saying, what he's saying, how his progress is going. Obviously, they have you know some of the the best you know, medics in the world in in, in sport, sporting medics yeah. in the world. They're analysing everything. Um, you asked the club, at the, you know, after the the team news was announced with with Dominic whether or not he had a setback, and then they said no, no setback. It's just a continuation of his rehabilitation regime, and and of course that's that's fair enough. But where I'm slightly kind of where I can understand some of the the frustration maybe is that obviously a fortnight before the game, Dominic Calvert has played forty five minutes twice in a week, yeah. and then he's had a week off. And if there's been no setback, you wonder why he might not have been deemed good enough, fit enough to to have then done a job for 45 minutes or 30 minutes or 20 minutes against Fulham, all of which you would think that had he been able to do so, well, you know, for all the reasons we've discussed, it may well be that Evan would have got something from that game. And it's an interesting one because I don't think we can really... I don't think that we can question Sean Dyche's approach to Dominic Calvert-Lewin and his and his fitness because I think he's got everything right so so far. Ultimately, as tight as last season was, Everton got into a situation where they were as cautious as they could and as fair as they were to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and he's openly you know expressed his his his, his happiness with how he's been looked after by Dyche's his coaching team and treated by them. And as tight as it was, Everton stayed up. And obviously they've got through all of this summer um, and they've got themselves in a situation where they were you know, more than competitive, you know, arguably dominant for most of the game on Saturday w- without him. So there's clearly progress around it, which is helping to reduce the burden and the pressure on Dominic Calvert-Lewin's shoulders. Where I, I'm, I'm just a little bit confused is, is probably the right word is for all that Everton were very good for that first 45, 50 minutes, you know, and for all that there's a, a general acceptance both within the club and outside it that Everton probably need another striker to, to ease the pressure on Dominic Calvert-Lewin so there isn't so much talk around every game about when he's involved and how long he's involved for. The, the big issue that Everton are probably still working on addressing aside from the striker is, is the, the depth of their squad. Obviously, Jack Harrison helps that. But we're going to see increasingly this season. We saw it last season. It was almost entirely to Everton's detriment. The fact that games are now split into, you know, it's not just 90 minutes anymore. The number of substitutes that you can now make mean that most Premier League clubs around the 60, 70th minutes mark refresh about a third of their starting lineup. And they tend to refresh that with genuine quality that's close, if not the same as, as, as their starting lineup. We saw so many teams do that against Everton last season and finish the second half so much stronger. You look at Nottingham Forest when they came back into that game in Nottingham and got the equaliser. You look at Wolves on Boxing Day even before they made any substitutes. Um, And you look at Everton, say, Leicester when they drew and you just thought that game was there for the take in the last 10 minutes. Yet the only substitute that Sean Dyche made was the one for Coleman coming off because of his injury. You even look at Bournemouth last day of the season when... You know, Bournemouth had chances at the end of that. Not clear-cut chances, but they, they did push for a goal. You know, in that game, Everton only ever made only made one substitute. Yeah, these these are all kind of issues that Everton are going to have to deal with because we saw it again against Fulham on Saturday, this idea that, OK, Everton... You almost feel like Everton, with the thinness of their squad, they almost need to win games in the first hour and then be competitive for the second half an hour, 40 minutes, if we see these 10 minutes of stoppage times added on, which is obviously a big step away from where they were. If they're not winning that first hour, it's, it's unlikely they're going to win the second half hour. 
and we saw that play out exactly you when that team news dropped at two o'clock and we saw the Pereira, Mitrovic, likes of those were on the bench for Fulham. The obvious narrative that we we're all sitting there was thinking Everton competitive for a while and then the substitutes changed this game because look at their bench compared to Everton's and that is exactly what happened. You know, Fulham made three substitutes. They all combined for the goal in the 73rd minute and after that, you know, it was a, it, it was a different story. And when you look at how those games are boiled down, you think, well... It doesn't have to be that Dominic Calvert-Lewin's ready for 90 minutes. It doesn't even necessarily have to be that he's ready, available for an hour. Even if he's just ready for that last 20 minutes, half an hour, then that might be enough. So you kind of wonder what it would take for him to get to where he was uh, just over a week ago. He could play 45 minutes twice, albeit in friendlies, to where he can be in a situation where he can play those 20 minutes, half an hour. So it might make a difference because... It is important when you think about these and how you judge that risk and reward because if you look at where Everton are now, there are lots of positives to take. I think there are lots of positives to take despite the defeat from that opening day against Fulham. But Everton now go into a week a weekend where they go away to Aston Villa, which will be one of the hardest games of their season this season. A Villa side that will have a point to prove after being stuffed by Newcastle. And then there's another week after that where you get to Fulham. So... Everton could play very, very well and still lose to Aston Villa at the weekend. Can't write it off, but you would go there anticipating it's always, after the it's big underdogs. It's a tough game, yeah. They then, if they do lose that, they then go into a situation a week later where there will be real pressure to try and win now against Wolves because yeah. Wolves are likely to be someone that are going to be down there in the bottom end of the table. And if they don't do that, in and if they don't do that, all of a sudden the pressure just continues yeah. to build and build and build. So with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and I stress, I, I have no idea what the data show. I'm not yeah. with the player, and I completely understand and, and take at face value. You know, trust Sean Dyche's opinions on it. He knows far more, and those around him far more than me. But if you look at it, if Dominic, Dominic Calvert-Lewin could have played 20 minutes against Fulham, could have played if he could have played the first half against Fulham, that game probably would have been out of sight. Everton got three points. You're then in a situation where a defeat against Villa isn't the end of the world and a point against Wolves isn't the end of the world. You could almost, you could have given Dominic Calvin potentially 45 minutes there and rested him for a full fortnight and then maybe not played him against, starting him against Wolves because the pressure isn't on there. And you just think those are those, those, those fine margins, those difficult decisions. They're easy, they're easy for me to talk about from the outside because I don't know what's going on and I can't pretend to know what's going on. But I can understand why a lot of fans might be thinking about those. And you do sometimes wonder whether there's an element of making it harder than it necessarily needs to be. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, just to add to all this, obviously Dominic Calvert-Lewin had been vocal on the club's own media in the week yeah. saying that he felt that he could do a job. So yeah. you can understand why these are issues that fans are mulling over in their head at you know, half past nine, ten o'clock on Saturday night, just before match today or just after, and they're thinking, <sighs> you yeah. know. Yeah. I think the big, the big thing with this is there's two different types of being fit. I think there's a, a being fit of what a player probably thinks to fit and they can yeah. play a... And then there's Sean Dyche being fit. And I think Sean Dyche's belief of how fit a player is is a lot different to what players and maybe supporters believe a player is fitter. And I think that's the thing you with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He deserves he's, to be trusted on he, that. He's clearly not got to the levels that Sean Dyche believes you have to be at to be able to play. He might be at a level where he thinks he can play, but Sean Dyche has clearly got some sort of benchmark or some sort of data which you know shows the perfect you know wave of when you are at your maximum fitness levels and an ability to play high level high intensity Premier League football and I don't think Dominic Calvert-Lewin has got to that level yet and that's why we kind of maybe see the thing of 
Dom saying he, you know, he feels he is fit and he can play and, and can, you know, would be able to contribute and, and Sean Dyche holding them back and saying no, because you're not at the level that I believe you have to be at to be able to play in the Premier League. So I think this is where you see the almost like the, the, the difference in thinking and the difference in men, not so much a mentality thing, but the there's different ways and beliefs of, of, of fitness and I think, you know, maybe years a couple of years ago Tom the level that Dominic Calvert Lewin that now would have been enough for him to play forever under maybe Frank Lampard or Rafa does. But I think under Sean Dyche it's a different ball game and I think he has a high level of where you need to be at to be able to play and lead the line and I don't think Dom is anywhere is anywhere near that as of yet and that's why he's not not been involved and that's why he will continue to to work behind the scenes at Finch Farm. But fans are under are under a right to, you know, question and wonder what's going on because it's been a kind of a long running saga, hasn't it, with Dominic Calvert Lewin and and when you look at the teams on Saturday, it just feels like it's never ending. You know, there's, there's no end in sight. I think there is an end in sight, but I think it's going to be a few more weeks yet because, like I say, I don't think he's quite hit the levels that Sean Dyche, you know, believes you need to be able to be able to play in the Premier League because Sean Dyche has been quite vocalising in the past of the, the intensity and the fitness levels and, and where you need to be. And I know Burnley, a lot of the players spoke about, like, you know, he would always push that extra mile because he believes you've got to be able to push that extra mile to play in the Premier League. And when you when you look at it, he's probably right. You know, it's the fast paced, the fast just paced game, probably league in world in, in world football. So I think this is just an area where two people have two different ways of thinking and seeing it in two different ways. And ultimately the way Sean Dyche sees it and thinks is the way I want to follow because he's in charge and he makes the calls. Yeah, I mean, what Dominic Calvert Lewin's absence from the match day squad meant, Joe, was obviously that Neil Mopé led the line and um, it's it's a role that we, we've, we've come apparent over the last 12 months that you know he, he's anything but a like for like uh, replacement for for Dominic Calvert-Lewin we spoke on the rumours times how he does better in a pair and uh fact is it's just nice one goal in 30 games for him for Everton now and uh, a lot of that is not necessarily his fault um, but you know whether whether you're playing well or playing badly the, the, the sort of um, abuse that um, um, Neil Mopé suffered on, on social media after the, the game um, is not acceptable in, in anyone's book and it's a sad indictment of the society we live in now yeah I mean it's a sad indictment of some parts of, of, of the the football wider football fan base isn't it just in, in general not just specific to clubs but that kind of you know we see it so often on social media that demand for everything now um, you know gotta score this you gotta do that you gotta do that and, and obviously we, we the, the club came out and condemned the abuse and, and as part of that shared or Neil Mopé shared some of that which he received and, and it's you know it's absolutely not acceptable there's no place for that you know it's um, you know it's it, it's it's abhorrent and, and people you know they shouldn't you know it's it's you can you know you 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 can fairly say he probably should have put away some of those chances and they don't have to go anywhere near the realms of personal abuse that you know you can you can be fair and critical of him from a football perspective obviously you know he also deserves some credit for being in a position where he had those chances in the first place you know that is a step forward on a lot of what we have seen previously and the fact that you know he was in those positions in the first place is is a positive um but yeah, going into into the realms of personal abuse over football is you know, fo- football is important, but it's not life or death. And you know some of the messages that he received were, were out of order, and, and the fact that there are some people, and then you know the type of people that set, step in across those boundaries, you know they're not really football fans, are they? They're people that I don't know live on social media and, and things like that. I think the vast majority of you know of, of, of football fans will appreciate that he's, he's trying his best and. 
you know, he, he came very, very close, like I say, in an alternative unit, albeit, you know, he, he didn't finish those chances and, you know, he, he's paid to do that. In alternative universe, you know, he's coming off that pitch with a with, with a couple of goals. It's, the margins are so, so fine, so, so fine. But, yeah, the, you say the abuse he's received is, is, is abhorrent and there's just no need for anything like that. He's back on his alternative <laughs> universe there, Stephen Hawkins. Obviously, it's a serious, it's a serious um, um, issue and um, when we were all different um, ages there and um, the elder statesman today because Gav's not with us and um, obviously Joe, Joe in the middle there and you're the, you're the baby of the bunch today um, um, <laughs> but you know you, 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 you know you've grown up with that more more than the, the rest of us I mean it didn't um, exist in that sort of state where you know when I was when I was your age but oh, on a serious on a serious point though I mean it, 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 it's not a, a nice well, that we even have to sort of have this. Never mind. Not obviously, we don't accept it, but even have this within game football. I suppose at one point, you know, you're always going to get stick in the pub and after the game things will be said but I guess the way that has now manifested itself online and it's a permanent record and people come in and say that to, to your face and, 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 and well not not personally because they wouldn't dare do that but you know, come come to you on your social media account and say remarks like that to people and that, uh, it's, it's just um, not, not acceptable on any level No it's vile yeah. it's quite simply vile isn't yeah. it no one no one should be subject to any to, to it and I think what you said there is the big problem for me is because it's you can be faceless and you can be behind a, yeah. a computer screen or a mobile phone or a, an iPad or a tablet and write what you want and that's the problem is that these people believe that they can write what they want because yeah. they don't have to put a name to it they don't have to put a face to it you know we all write for a publication a newspaper online we put our name to things you know, we, we have to do that. You know, we can't hide behind, you know, just nothing. But these people can get away with it because yeah. there's no there's no accountability. There's no, you know, kind of ways in which they they have to make it clear who they are. You know, they can just set up an account and, and write what they want. And that's the problem. People just believe in this society that they've got the right to say what they want. Mm. And, 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 you know, and it's just so wrong. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, you know, when I seen it, I seen it on Saturday night and, you know, the first thing you just think is why, you know, why does, why does someone need to write that? You know, yeah. you know, why on earth does someone think on a Saturday night or any time <laughs> that, you know, yeah. I'll write that, you know, it's, it's just violent. Yeah. But like I say, like you say, Chris, I think it's a, a common theme with society, the modern world society, isn't it? And I think yeah. people just now believe, well, I've got this theory in the head that they can say what they want yeah. when they want. And, you know, like I say, I think there's the big problem is there's no accountability behind these things. Yeah. And people just, you know, because they can be on faceless accounts or make an account and, and say, you know, they get away with it. But they need to find a way to stop this. Yeah. Not not just around the remote pain. Yeah, it goes beyond football, it goes doesn't beyond it? Football, yeah. yeah, it goes, it's day to day life, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean there's something that needs to be done to, to, to either make people accountable for what the, for, for their actions and what they're saying because the way things stand at the minute, it's absolutely ridiculous that we live in a world that people can hide behind a, a screen or a mobile phone and just write vile insults like like we saw Neil Mopey was, you know, unfortunately the end of on, on Saturday night. It's so poor, isn't it? Because as well, the, you know, it's a truer reflection of where the Everton fan base is is things like the Delhi banner that was yeah. there and, you know, from the from the Gladys Street. But they're proper fans, aren't proper they? Proper fans, yeah. you know, they're, you know, stronger together and, and supporting someone that's going through a, you know, a difficult time. Obviously, Delhi was there in the stadium to mm. see that. That's w where... Round of applause for him as he t um, went down the touchline into the tunnel yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where the majority, that's yeah. where the true blues are. Yeah. Um, and that's where the true football fans are, yeah. you know, not not people that are sending these 
stupid, horrible messages to yeah. you know personal players, you know, to their personal accounts with the personal abuse. You know, it's 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 abhorrent. Yeah, it's fine then. We'll end, end on a positive then. Uh, you know. I, I, and haven't got a lot of margin for error really you know it's, it's three points drops there's no doubt about that but what is the biggest plus point um, you take from, from the game against um, Fulham on the weekend Joe? Chances that were created yeah. I think because I think that you know we spoke a lot how for Everton uh, over the past two seasons you can't gamble on players avoiding injuries you know you have to have a squad that's resilient enough to take you know, to, you know, to be able to have multiple key players out at any one time. That's just the state of the Premier League. Most squads have, you know, a core of, you know, it's gone from a core 11, 12, 13 to a core 16, 17, 18 now. You know, I think that that was as, as weak in Everton starting 11 as we'll see because of the injuries and the, the, the Sean Dyche has to deal with it at the minute. But despite that, Despite that eleven, you know, being really relying on players like Garner and, and Awobi being out of position, it was still highly effective for the majority of that game. It created a lot of chances. It created enough. Everton did enough by putting the ball in the back of the net. And even when they did, they were unfortunate because obviously the Stuart Atwell decision that we've discussed, you know, they did more than enough to win that game. And I think that when you can see that perhaps the weakest eleven or one of the weaker elevens that Evan will put out can still be effective and can still be impressive in an area that has struggled for so long um, against a side that I do think they might struggle a bit more for them this season and obviously they hadn't made the changes uh, that they they made later on in the game when Everton were enjoying their dominance but for for Everton to do that against a mid-table Premier League side from last season I think that shows that the template works it shows that what Deitch is doing at Finch Farm is having an impact and that progress is being made with this group of players we know that for all that work still needs to be done in the transfer window, we do know that some of the answers to the issues that Evan had on Saturday lie do lie within the squad. Dominic Calvert-Lewin coming back to fitness. Arno Danjuma growing into fitness. Dwight McNeil coming back to fitness. Mikolenko coming back to fitness. I'm not saying he'd necessarily start, but he does give you more options with what you can do with Ashley Young. Um, you know, Yusef Chimiti growing into as uh, the, the Premier League as, as, as a player. So, you know, when you think that that, that 11... Well, that squad will be furnished with players that already exist within the squad and improve as a result of that and hopefully further additions from the transfer window. Then you can see that Everton do have a competitive side this season. They have a side that can create chances. They've got to cross that bridge and score them. They've also got to cross the bridge of being more competitive or being able to be dominant in the second phase and third phases of games now as, as they go on, go on for longer and longer. But I do think that it shows that whatever Sean Dyche is working on at Finch Farm, it's working on for that whole group of players, not just a case of when you add in the magic that's you know going to come back to full fitness. Yeah, kind of what did you enjoy the most? Yeah, I thought it was creating chances more yeah. because one of my concerns from pre-season, you know, maybe not so much from a sport game, but going into the sport game was how Everton were going to score a goal because yeah. a lot of what we'd seen pre-season, Everton looked fit or sharp, but they didn't look like they maybe worked on much in the attacking third of, of how they actually created a chance to score a goal, because obviously, you know, the lack of goals last year was was, was worrying, but yeah. also how many chances, they didn't create many chances, no. did, you know, you think of the, even the Bourne game on the last day, you know, they scored yeah. a goal, so nothing essentially, yeah. you know, they didn't create many clear good chances, but I thought that 45 minutes, you know, busted any kinds of concerns for how Everton are going to score a goal because they carved open, carved open full at will. And I think that was most pleasing that they clearly do have a way and a pattern of play and a blueprint in which 
they will look to attack teams and get at them this season. And like Joe says, you know, if they can start taking them chances, then you know they they're on to win more games than they'll lose this season. So the big thing was for me was was the creating chances because we haven't seen Everton create that many chances for a long, long time. And you know, like I say, the worry for me was going into from pre-season was. You know, Everton didn't look like they'd worked on much in the final third in terms of you know, fluid play and, and you know, passive phases of play and stuff like that. But on Saturday, they, they certainly carved open for them and they've got, you know, in various ways, but obviously it was some set pieces, balls into the box. You know, I think on Armadou and Arna was outstanding for two of them. We went back the ball and two great passes. And, you know, he's someone who seems to be growing his stature in recent weeks as well. And, you know, yeah, I just thought there was, a, there was enough there to suggest that if Everton can start scoring goals, and I know it's a big if because we've been talking about it for so long, you know, they will certainly be in more chance of winning more games than they'll lose this season. Yeah. Well, we're up and running, at least. Um, it's been the Royal Blue Podcast, and we'll be back with you later in the week uh, to preview the trip to Aston Villa. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast, the Liverpool Echo. 